Hello and welcome to the Viva Albertos podcast. My name is Ben Humphrey. I'm the site manager at VivaAlbertos.com, a St. Louis Cardinals community. Uh, I'm joined today by one of our editors. You may know him uh, by his pen name, the Red Baron. I know him as Aaron Schaefer. Aaron, welcome to the episode. Hello, Ben. As always, it's wonderful to talk to you. Uh, you don't sound like you mean that. <laughs> well, it's the Ides of March. I have to be wary. Oh, uh, Lord. <laughs> you, you're just really you're driving home these jokes lately, aren't you? Oh, that's good stuff. Um, but in, a, in in all honesty, it is March fifteenth. It's the evening of March fifteenth. We like to it say that. 15th? Really? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. I'm terrible about keeping track of dates. You're right. It is the fifteenth. Wow. So uh, I want folks to know that in case. Uh, some big news breaks uh, in the uh, near future in between uh, us recording and you listening. Uh, we have to send this off to Aaron Finkel, our wonderful producer, so he can splice everything together and mess around with Speaking the audio of, levels. Speaking of Finkel, you <laughs> called me the other Aaron last week. <laughs> the hell, man? I think I call each of you. Not cool. I think not I, cool. I think whoever I am not speaking to is the other Aaron. Uh huh. Yeah. If, so if, if I'm not speaking to you, you're the other Ben, <laughs> and I don't know any other Bens. So there. <laughs> it's in reference to the clock in London, right? You're the yeah, other there Ben. There you go. Yeah, Big Ben. You're you're just the other one. Mm. Well, spring training action is uh, starting to pick up. The major leaguers are starting to play a little bit longer, uh, get a little bit more plate appearances, tally a little bit more in the innings pitched department. Peter Borges is hitting 20 now without, you know, a, a hit. Yeah, it's, it's really getting going. <laughs> so uh, Fox Sports Midwest has started carrying the games on television. Uh, starting Isn't that exciting weekend. to be able to hear the morons we have doing commentary back on there again? Ricky Horton was on, you know, I know he was on today, what little of the game I caught. He was on yesterday talking about, uh, what were, oh, we were talking about this before we got on here. He, uh, you were saying something about Magnuris Sierra. Yes, there was. Uh, they do these joint uh, broadcasts with the twins announcers, uh, and I don't know the twins announcer's name, uh, the play-by-play guy. And he brought up the fact that Sierra, uh, who is the reigning Cardinals minor league player of the year, uh, ha- was very raw and had a lot uh, of developing to do uh, because of his age. And of course, he was talking about it from a baseball perspective. And as you do, and, which one typically does during uh, a baseball broadcast. And uh, he kind of set that up for uh, Horton to expand upon. And Horton just talked about how Sierra could not speak English. <laughs> um, and, so you, you know, that doesn't surprise me uh, from a teenager uh, who is an international player uh, who has. Uh, moved from his native land where they speak Spanish to the United States of America to pursue his dream to become a professional baseball player. And, you know, I don't want to give or I don't want to downplay the cultural adjustment that a lot of these kids have to go through uh, when they get signed, because that has to be very difficult. I mean, I think, you know, to when I've studied abroad, which was for a much shorter period of time, and I perhaps spoke French about as well 
um, as some of these kids might be able to speak English maybe better. Um, and it was very exhausting just from a mental perspective trying to communicate with people. So I don't want to give uh, – I don't want to downplay that. But I, I confess that I'm much more interested in what is raw and undeveloped about Sierra as a baseball player as opposed to him adjusting to the culture of America. And we didn't get much on that broadcast. I don't know. I'm 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 pretty invested in what this uh, what this guy is like culturally. I, I want to know does he speak English? I want to know if he's planning on becoming a citizen and registering for one of our many political parties. I, I kind of want to know what his thoughts on uh, you know like American history are. I like those sorts of things. I don't care about him as a baseball player. That's just a dumb way to look at the world. So do you think that Fox Sports Midwest should follow ESPN's lead with the Little League World Series broadcasts and have, like, favorite actor, favorite movie, favorite book? Absolutely. I, and I would expect all three to be Good Night Moon. <laughs> I feel like that's a joke, but it didn't make any sense at all. I, that's why I'm laughing, because I don't even yeah. know what the joke means. That's, I'm, I'm doing know. it to make you that's feel better. Oh, oh, thanks. Wow, what a jerk. Um. But so the broadcast has started uh, up again, and so you, it's nice because you get to see these players uh, with your own two eyes. It's no longer kind of having to go by the way everyone else is describing, say, a bullpen session where no one's swinging. Uh, now they're in a somewhat adversarial setting. Uh, the batter in the batter's box is trying to get a hit and make an impression with the coaching staff of his team. And the pitcher on the mound is trying to get that batter out and make a good impression on the coaching or with the coaching staff of his team. And so uh, it's pretty it's it's wonderful and it's fun. Um, but Aaron, I think that sometimes folks, uh, because so many of these games are during the day, uh, maybe on the weekends you get to catch some of them, but it's a little bit more difficult for folks who are working to catch and watch the games uh, during the day when it comes to spring training. And I think uh, fans are left kind of parsing the box score and looking at spring stats. And, you know, I think sometimes folks can read a little bit too much into a player's uh, springtime batting line, uh, especially this early in the spring. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's... uh... It, it's the same old thing we say about don't scout a stat line in the minors. You know, where you, you don't want to look at a guy's numbers and make assumptions about what kind of player he is, what kind of player he's going to be, or where he is along the developmental curve. You know, I mean, I, I feel like spring training is kind of a, a microcosm of the development process in general. In that, you know, it, it's not a it's not a straight line. It's not just a linear graph from zero to done. You know, finished product over here, zero over here, and it's just a straight line. It, it's, you know, it's a jagged line. It's fits and starts. Guys learn certain things and they improve. They look like they improve all at once sometimes when maybe it isn't that. It's that a couple little things have been improving here and there, and then all of a sudden it hits this tipping point where they go from not a finished product to either done or very close to it. And, and spring, I think, is kind of the same way, um, especially with pitchers. You know, I mean, you, you watch a guy, and maybe he comes out, and he's got a great fastball one day, but he just can't find the feel for the curve at all. The next time he comes out, the curve seems a little bit better, but now he's a little wild. 
and he, you know everything's up and he can't get the ball down. And then all of a sudden, around start four or five, toward the end, he just looks ready. And it's because it's not because he changed overnight and suddenly turned into this other guy. It's because all the little things that he was working on kind of came together at once. It's the same thing for hitters. You know, they're working on their timing. They're working on, uh, you know, just getting the swing grooved, getting it back down, all these other things. And it doesn't happen. It's not always easy to see all the little improvements. All we can see is that moment when everything happens and they're ready, you know. Yeah, and you're also dealing, you know, you mentioned the jagged and the fits and starts. Um, You know, I've got the MLB.com stats page up for spring training right now. Uh, Ty Kelly, believe it or not, is leading the team in plate appearances with 27. Randall Gritchick uh, and Wilson uh, each have 24. Piscotti's got 23. Borges has 22. Scott Moore has 21 but we're the talking of the name that you need to be watching scott moore a 31 year old uh journeyman infielder uh who i have seen play several times uh in the pacific coast league yeah there you go um well that's why you need to be watching him i didn't mean you in general i meant you ben because i'm sure you'll watch him again a bunch. yes yeah i need to scout him so i know uh so i have a better idea of what to look for when he comes to town here uh, later in the summer. Um, But we're talking about, you know, the point that I'm trying to make, I guess, is that we're talking about a minuscule uh, number of plate appearances, really, like less than a week in a major league season. You're talking about virtually no plate appearances. You're talking about guys who are at different points along the curve of how ready they are. It's, you know, there is not enough context for these numbers to be meaningful. So, I mean, the point is a very good one. If you're watching spring training numbers and trying to really figure anything out from them, you're, you're probably doing it wrong. Yep. And the other thing to keep in mind is context. And you mentioned that sometimes it all seems to come together for a player. You know, I have no problem believing that pitchers and, you know, they're, there will be interviews and quotes from coaches, managers, and players that, you know, I wanted to work on my curveball this outing. So I threw it more often than I probably would have in a regular season game because I'm trying to get a feel for it. I'm not liking the way it's going in bullpens or whatever the case may be. And so I was throwing it more often. Um, or we wanted him to try to use all his pitches today. He hasn't done it yet, and we wanted him to put it all together, and it just, you know, it wasn't a good game. You just, you consistently hear things such as that. Um, well, you know, and that mean, well, you know, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bring it back to the, to the minors again. Um, you know, I mean, how often have we heard where you've got a, a young player who is, you know, he comes out, say you've got a 19-year-old kid fresh out of high school, he's a draftee, and he comes out that first season, and, and the results just aren't very good. You know, you, you get an elevated ERA, the strikeout numbers are down, the walks. And then after the season, we hear it was mandated by the organization that he throw, uh, you know, 30% change-ups. Or that he, you know, he's adding this new pitch, and they really want him to bear down on that. Um, you know, to where... You look at the numbers, and, and they're not great. They, they are what they are, as Ryan Terrio would tell us. Uh, 
you know, the, the performance wasn't all that good, but there's a reason for it that he wasn't just going out there and just trying to do his best or do whatever he can to get results. He's trying to do something that will make him better in the future that he's working on, and it may adversely affect him right now. And, and spring training, I think there's a lot of that in uh, in the spring as well. Yeah, I think you're right, and I don't think that we're necessarily uh, privy to all of that that's going on. Um, oh, and I think that it's important to keep in mind that you know the the coaching staff is probably communicating with the player. I hope they are. Um, and so they're aware of this and they're looking at these performances kind of, you know, through not rose colored glasses, but through the glasses of what they have asked a, a player to work on. Um, and so I think that's important to keep in mind as well. You as a fan or me as a fan might look at someone's batting line and say, oh, Lord, that's horrible. Or someone's pitching line and say, this guy has looked awful so far this spring um you know there could be more at play uh than what we're aware of or it could just be a bad handful of at bats uh or a bad handful of innings yeah, i mean that's, that's always the other problem the the numbers the sampling is so small that you know it, it's almost vanishingly tiny in the grand scheme of things and not nearly large enough to, to draw any conclusions anyway and when you add all the contextual things, it's just, uh, it's really, it's difficult to figure out much of anything based on spring stats. Yeah, and, you know, pitchers may have three or four appearances in games at this point in time, but they have six to eight innings pitched. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's basically a start, one start uh, in the regular season. And so it's, don't go falling in love, don't go writing anyone off, because it's still very early, players are still getting into the flow of things, still working their way into game shape, uh, most of them are not there yet, uh, they're trying to get up... not being there yet, how's that for a segue to Carlos today, huh? Well, he wasn't very good today, was he? Uh, he gave <laughs> up, he gave up five runs, I think four extra base hits, had, had, uh, issued... I think one or two walks. I don't have the box score open in front of me right now, um, but he did not. Uh, he did not look very good, and now his spring ERA is six point seven five, over wow. eight innings. That means he's a career reliever. Yeah. Period. That's all there is to it. You know, and I was someone judging by. Uh, I was reading the Cardinals dot com article. I believe it's by Jennifer Langosh. Or no, it's by uh, it's by Andrew Simon, um, uh, and he, he there's a paragraph in here. Uh, I'm going to read you uh, the Matheny quote that Simon, one of the Matheny quotes that Simon has in the article. Quote: It didn't look like five runs, but still, you can't give the free bases up. Matheny said. His stuff's too good to do that. That was a conversation he and I had. Overall, I thought his stuff looked good. He used his slider, used his curveball. His changeup is really good right now. Sinker's good, too. End quote. Matheny doesn't believe that Martinez, who has worked mostly in relief in the big leagues, is running out of gas as he goes deeper into games. The 23-year-old doesn't look tired, Matheny said, but puts himself into bad counts by trying to be too fine with his pitches. But time remains this spring for Martinez to work on that, and his manager fully expects him to bounce back. 
So someone actually asked Mike Matheny if Carlos Martinez is running out of gas. Of course. Like I said, I mean, you look at the numbers. Numbers don't lie. You've heard that. We, 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 numbers don't lie, Ben. I don't know why you're trying to deny the numbers here. What kind of uh, you know anti-truth thing are you? I'm sorry, I lost the thread there. Um, that is pretty funny, actually. And and you know what? For once, hey, I'm on Matheny's side. I don't get to say that very often. It feels pretty good. I, I just, you know, and I understand everyone's got stuff to write, and they need quotes from the manager about it and you know the motivation for even asking such a question um is probably to shoot down that idea um but you know martinez has thrown eight innings total this spring like even if running into a wall in later innings were a problem it's not it there hasn't even been an opportunity for that to show itself really he certainly shouldn't be there yet Right, right. Like, it's too early to even say that. Um, Or to, you know... But we see the narrative forming, and it's the one that was kind of there last year, too. Uh, So maybe it's just being resurrected. Um, And it'll be interesting to see uh, if Martinez bounces back uh, and how he pitches. Because the lefties uh, have had some good outings. Um, I don't know, did you have a chance to watch any of the highlights of Jaime Garcia's last start? I did, and he uh, he looked pretty good. I mean, he looked like Jaime Garcia. You know, occasionally he does a thing with a baseball that defies physics, and it's kind of cool. You know, it's like um, I don't know, it's like a magic trick, but you know, one of those ones where it's not a weird dude in leather pants and no shirt with a sphere or whatever. But it's it's a fun magic trick that you wouldn't mind showing to your friends. Yeah, and you know that's that's the Jaime Garcia test. Right, like he's had rotator cuff surgery, labrum surgery, thoracic outlet release surgery, which ended Chris Carpenter's career and has ended a handful of other starters' careers. Um, but you'll recall back when Chris Carpenter tried to return from thoracic outlet surgery, he tried to do it twice. He just didn't look like Chris Carpenter. He didn't have the bite on his pitches. He didn't have the location on his pitches either. And... You know, I just said, don't go falling in love or don't go writing anyone off this early in spring. But with Jaime Garcia, to me, the test is, does he look like Jaime Garcia? And he does. And I think that's, you know, half the battle is won, really. Now he just has to show that he can stay healthy. If, if he is throwing the ball like he was throwing the ball uh, in his last start, and who knows, he could lose it. Um, but right now, I, I was very uh, pleased to see the ball, the way the ball was moving and defying physics uh, during his last start. It was, it was good to see, and I hope that's an indication of what we're going to see moving forward in spring and maybe even this summer. I mean, what do you think? What are the odds in your mind that Jaime Garcia makes more than 10 starts for the Cardinals in 2015? I would say those odds are 12 to 1. Okay. That is a number I pulled out of – never mind. Um, I, I disagree with you. I disagree that the Jaime Garcia test is whether or not he looks like Jaime Garcia. I think the Jaime Garcia test is how long before he's involved in a low-speed collision and his shoulder bursts into flames. Because when he's come back before – 
even when he hasn't been quite there, you'll still see that stuff. You still see the movement. You see that when he throws the ball, it just does bizarre things, that the changeup moves in ways you maybe have never seen a player do. And he gets out there on the mound, and he does it, and then he's gone again. So to me, the test for Jaime Garcia isn't going to be whether or not he looks like himself. It's for how long can he look like that. Well, I think, and that's an interesting point, and it's it's very difficult for me to be... I understand where everyone's coming from with the suspicion that he won't be able to make it for a full season. He's had his his labrum repaired. He's had his rotator cuff uh, repaired. Uh, he was able to come back and, as you say, pitch look like Jaime Garcia after that happened. And he did it the year after uh, his season was ended, uh, which is something Chris Carpenter couldn't do. Um, now, Chris Carpenter had some... Uh, some after effects from his surgery. Uh, he had a slap tear of his labrum, and he had scarring develop. Um, he was also quite a bit older, wasn't he? Uh, he well, I'm not sure how much older because that was when he was. I think he was through six years of service too. Oh, was that back? Is that what he had with the the Blue Jays? You're talking yes, about? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. The medical history on Chris Carpenter is kind of difficult to keep track of. I don't feel like that's my fault. No, no it's, it's... It's like one of those family circus cartoons where you see the little kid running around, there's the dotted line. That's kind of how I feel, like a, a map of Chris Carpenter's arm looks, where it's just stitch marks and various arrows pointing to things that have been replaced or repaired by now. Well, I suspect that Chris Carpenter's shoulder area uh, and his elbow look like Frankenstein's monster a bit. Same for Jaime Garcia. They've all, they, both of them have had Tommy John surgery. Uh, they've had their shoulder repaired. Abram Garcia additionally had the rotator cuff, and then they both had thoracic outlet release. So, <laughs> I mean, they've got some scars, man. That's um, a lot of cutting. That's, yeah, that's a lot of cutting. And and don't get me wrong, it's a lot of money you're making, and it's a hell of a job if you can do it if you have that talent. But man. Sometimes you, you, you really do have to marvel at the lengths to which these people will go to try and pursue their chosen profession. And, and you do. Um, but I guess what I'm thinking with Carpenter is he was able to come back and win a Cy Young after his labrum surgery. He was able to come back and almost win a Cy Young after his Tommy John surgery and all of the side effects that followed. But what was his undoing was this thoracic outlet release procedure. And what thoracic outlet syndrome is, it's where you have an impingement. And your uh, your blood vessels and your nerves come from your abdomen into your arm uh, underneath the shoulder. And there's uh, the thoracic outlet, hence the name. And so when those get compressed, you you can feel the effects throughout your arm and even into your fingertips of the nerve compression. Um, and it makes it so, you know, you're talking about having a feel for a pitch. It makes it so you, you have tingling, sometimes you have burning. It's very difficult. Um, and I think Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch uh, on, on some of the best podcasts and baseball episodes talked about how Garcia is uncomfortable trying to pitch. Uh, and it seems as if that 
uh, very well may be why is this compression of the nerves. Well, now he's had that release performed. And some pitchers, after they have that release performed, they never get the feel back. I think Chris Carpenter, I think it's probably pretty fair to say that Chris Carpenter never got that feel back. You know, watching him try to pitch in the 2012 NLCS, do you remember that? Where he just had no idea? Yeah, that was that was torture. It was that was sadder than I expected it to be. You know, what I mean, because we all knew the moment was going to come eventually, but I don't know. There was something dark about that moment. Yeah, it, it was really hard to watch, and it was just it was that moment when his body has finally betrayed him. You know, and we're seeing it. And he's trying, and he's out there, and he's on grit and guts and desire, and he's a bulldog. You know, no one's going to challenge Chris Carpenter's mental toughness. But you can have all the mental toughness in the world, and if your body isn't responding, that's what you get. And I wish we had a better animal to use to describe pitchers. I don't like bulldogs very well. Oh, you don't? I, I have a couple friends who have pet bulldogs. They're pretty nice. Really? Yeah, I don't know. They're not my thing. I liked the uh, the British Bulldogs, pet bulldog, back back when I was a kid. But other than that, it's never been a, a favorite breed of mine. Well, they're it's a sad breed. I mean, they're all inbred. I think the average bulldog doesn't it have like something like one point seven ACL surgeries in its life? Because I it's didn't know that they're they're the uh, the equivalent of Sam Bradford. That's yes. Weird. Yes. Sam Bradford's a bulldog. <laughs> I finally found a way to compliment Sam Bradford. That's that's what Chip Kelly liked about him. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's a bulldog. Some guy on a podcast said he's a bulldog. No, the guy compared him to a bulldog because he has defective knees. Uh, but we aren't saying that Sam Bradford's inbred. I'm saying, well, okay, no, no, we're not. We're not explicitly saying that he did go to Oklahoma. But uh, get Oklahoma. But back to. Uh, Bringing it back to Carpenter, I guess Bring what it I back to things that aren't Aaron just cursing at random people or whole states. Eh, fair enough. Um, states that I probably consider within the Cardinals' territory, or at least large oh, swaths absolutely. of them. Yeah, we we have at least a couple listeners in that great state, and it's Matt Holiday's home state. Also, yeah, produced the left fielder. He was, and you know, he was pretty awesome. He could have gone to any Oklahoma school he wanted as a quarterback, apparently. And I'm I'm sure he's not inbred. You don't get to look like that if your uh, if your family tree is more like a just a stick. You don't get to look like Matt Holiday. <laughs> uh, but back to Carpenter. I guess what I my point then uh, is probably inf- informed by watching Carpenter uh, when I say, "Wow, Jaime Garcia after thoracic outlet uh, release surgery looks like Jaime Garcia." with the way he's deploying his pitches, the way he's getting movement, and the way he's spotting them. And I guess maybe it's a a two-step process. And one is, you know, he has to be as good as he was, probably, uh, in order to justify a spot in the rotation, um, which means he has to show feel for his pitches. He has to be able to show that command. He has to be able to show that movement. But then on top of that, as you said, he has to be able to stay healthy. And, you know, I think it's important to keep in mind that that the surgery that he had last year wasn't 
as far as we know, to do anything with his labrum or rotator cuff. Uh, it was that thoracic outlet release. And, you know, it's a long way, it's a long road back from any one of those surgeries, let alone all of them. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if he can stay healthy and continue throwing and looking as much like his old self as he did during his last start. What would you do with him if he's good? Well, you got to start him. I mean, isn't he what you hope Marco Gonzalez or Carlos Martinez might someday be? He's what I hope Marco Gonzalez might someday be. I, I hope Carlos Martinez is better. Well, I hope Carlos Martinez is better too, but you know, neither one of those guys has made it through a full major league season yet. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, and, I, I, I maybe I misspoke. I shouldn't say. I just hope he's better. It's just he's a, an entirely different kind of pitcher, and, and I I have very high hopes. But yeah. Oh, I, sure, I, sure. It's a very bad comparison. They are not in terms of quality. If either one of them approach, you know, if they get to that level that Jaime has shown, albeit in brief stints, that he is capable of being, then yeah, you you have to consider that an unequivocal success. If, and if those guys can get there. And that's kind of what I was driving at. Kind of like, you know, I, I think that Jaime Garcia, his floor, uh, well, that's not even right. His health neutral floor is so much higher than either Marco Gonzalez or Carlos Martinez in 2015. That if he's healthy, you're also paying him over $9 million, but you don't want to jerk around Gonzalez or Martinez. But if you've got a healthy Jaime Garcia and he's ready to go, I mean, don't you have to go with him? I think you do. Holy shit. Do you know that Jaime – how old do you think Jaime Garcia is? I think he is 30 or 31. He is 28 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know, right? Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I mean, 28 years, 8 months, so he will turn 29 this year. But yeah, I just pulled up his Fangraphs page because I was, I was just kind of, you know, I always do whenever we're talking about a player. But he is only 28. That is amazing. I know he has been around for at least 15 years. Well, I'm, I remember uh, his it's big like debut. It's like opera. He's just been around forever. Well, he has. Pretty soon we're going to be saying, you know, we'll have gray in our hair by then. And maybe mm. we'll be on this broadcast marveling at how... Uh, at how it's amazing that Marco Gonzalez and Carlos Martinez are only 29. Yeah, that'll be a while still. Yeah, hopefully we make it that long. Um, but, you know, it's it's a tough thing. Uh, it's a very tough question because don't you have – don't you want – you know, you've talked about the health, and it sounds like the Cardinals want him to kind of prove it, not in the spring training sense – but in the regular season sense. And maybe they want him to prove it during a rehab stint. Um, that's, that's the indication that I've, that I've gotten from the first couple episodes of the best podcast in baseball from Bernie Miklas and Derek Gould is that the Cardinals, maybe they aren't ready to put him in the opening day rotation, but they want him to do a rehabilitation stint in the minors to show that he can go six, seven innings a night every fifth day for a month before they think about giving him a shot in the major league rotation. I mean, do you think that's a good 
kind of alternative to the bullpen or the rotation in St. Louis? It, it probably is to begin the season. I think that's probably a, a very sensible alternative at the very least. It, I mean, put him in a situation where he won't hurt you if he goes down immediately. And, and you know, just a handful of starts. May, although, well, I don't know. You know what? Maybe you look at it as if he has a limited number of bullets and you don't want him to waste them in the minors. I, I don't know. Um, you know what I would do if if I had my druthers? And this is a dumb idea because no team does it and the uh, brain trust or the on-field brain trust of the Cardinals is not known for its creativity. I want to see a six-man rotation. I actually want to see one. I always shout it down whenever anybody brings up. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. You don't take starts away from your number one. It doesn't work that way. I want this team to go to a six-man rotation. Because specifically what you have is you have a whole bunch of pitchers who could be good but are not yet proven or not proven to be healthy. You have a guy at the top that, no, you don't want to take the innings away from him if he's good, but you do want to limit his workload. I would like to see an actual six-man rotation. Now, is that just because to start the year to kind of limit the workload in April because you're assuming that one of the six is going to go down? And then my next question is, who is your – who between Gonzalez, Martinez, and Garcia would be in that rotation? Gonzalez goes to the bullpen. Okay. I think he slots in there the best. He's the guy who, to my mind right now – is still a year away from needing to have his opportunity in the rotation. I think he fits in the bullpen. I don't think Garcia fits in the bullpen at all. I think the physical issues and all that, I don't want to see him trying to get ready in a hurry. I don't want to see him getting up, throwing, not coming into the game, sitting down. I don't want to see all that. I think it's best for Jaime Garcia, and and I don't want to go back in all the mental things of, oh, if he has to take a cab on the day he pitches, he freaks out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the arm alone, the physical stuff. I feel you have to keep him on a schedule, that you can monitor how he's doing, how the strength is, all this stuff. I don't want to see any kind of unpredictability built into his workload. I do not think the bullpen is uh, an option for him whatsoever. Of all the guys, I think he's the last one you could put in the bullpen. I think it's the most important for him to be on a schedule, to be monitored, to have it regular. Um, so you guys, huh? So Sorry. you're so you're six man. You're saying throw Jaime in there, and Carlos in there, and Wainwright, Lynn, Lackey, Waka, and whoever gets hurt. Then you just go to a five man once one of them gets hurt. Yeah, that's that's what I would probably do. And if nobody gets hurt, you know what? You've managed to go a whole year while limiting the innings on your overworked ace who had elbow surgery in the offseason. You've managed to limit the innings on your possibly chronically injured shoulder guy who also is super awesome when he's on the mound. And you've managed to limit the innings instead of trying to go whole hog and throwing your young fireballing uh, phenom directly into the deep end. If you make it through the full year with a six-man, I think you've limited all those workloads, and I think it is to the benefit of every single one of those pitchers. Okay, now let me bring you back kind of what I'm going to say is yeah, more, more the real world. Yeah. And let's, 
you mentioned that you thought Marco Gonzalez belongs in the major league bullpen, and I tend to agree with you. He's certainly easier to use than Randy Choate. Um, who would you? Where does Kevin Segrist fit in? Does he? If he's healthy, if he's effective, he fits in. And if if that's the case, maybe Gonzalez has to go back to AAA. Maybe he goes down there and builds up his innings, builds up his strength, builds up his workload. I don't feel it is a necessity to have Gonzalez on the Major League roster this year. I do feel it is a necessity to at least give the opportunity to Carlos Martinez. I feel like if Kevin Segrist is healthy and available and good, he might be more effective out of the bullpen than Marco Gonzalez. Probably will be. And so in that case, you just move Marco back a year. If you need an extra spot start here and there, he's your guy. Things like that. I feel Gonzalez gives you some flexibility that maybe a lot of these other pitchers don't. In that he's got options. He is not at the developmental stage yet where you look at him and you say, he's not getting any better. He's not learning anything at the minors or working. Uh, He's got some flexibility. I think you could take advantage of that. Okay. Um, Let me ask you this. Okay, Marco Gonzalez makes the Major League bullpen. Let's assume that he makes the Major League bullpen. Okay. Whether it's Randy Choate, Segrist, whomever, I... I don't really care about that. But let's say Gonzalez is in the St. Louis bullpen at this point in time. Let's say also that Jaime Garcia has landed on the disabled list again. Okay? Okay. There is an injury in the starting rotation. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to feel as if I've jinxed anyone. But there is there is an injury from someone in the starting rotation. Do you call up Tyler Lyons or Tim Cooney? to make the starts uh, for the injury, uh, for the injured starter? Or do you um, have Marco Gonzalez kind of build up his arm strength in the majors and have him take the ball uh, in the Mm -hmm. place of the injured starter? That's a tough one, because I would like to have Gonzalez do it. you know, I, I, I don't know how realistic that is. That is a concern. It has to be a concern. Um, I think probably what happens at that point is you move Gonzalez down to AAA immediately, get him out of the bullpen, have him start trying to build up that strength, make a couple starts, and then bring up one of those other guys to take those couple starts and then bring Gonzalez into a more permanent role. Because I think that's the best argument in favor of Gonzalez starting the season in AAA if he is not in the major league rotation. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, that that you wouldn't have any of that. Uh, you wouldn't have any sort of downtime or any kind of lag in him trying to build up to start if he's already starting down in the minors. And I, and I like I said, I wouldn't mind if that were the outcome. If Kevin Segrist is really, really good, if he's healthy and he looks like himself and he looks, you know, like 2013 Kevin Segrist, I don't have a problem with Gonzalez in AAA with a starter's workload prepared to come up and make starts if necessary rather than trying to shuttle him between bullpen and starting. I I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. 
Yeah, I think it would be. I I don't want to say ideal because I like Marco Gonzalez. I think he's got very good stuff so far. As curveball is getting uh, very good reviews. I haven't. I have not caught. Um, I I caught. Uh, I have not caught any of his games when he has pitched, and I hope to do that uh, for with his next start. Um, you know, I, I read about, and I think you and I have talked about how uh, my brother and I saw Gonzalez's major league debut at Coors. So happened to get pretty good seats that game, and my brother was calling out Gonzalez's curveball like mm-hmm. as he was releasing it, and it was not good. Like, it was not a good pitch at all. Yeah, well, you know, you, you could do that on television also. Those uh, That first start in particular, he was absolutely telegraphing it to to a really it was, kind of frightening degree. Yeah, it, it, I mean, we're... Really slowed his arm. Yeah. Just, everything looked different. It was completely... Uh, well, I mean, you could just tell he was struggling with the adrenaline. He was struggling with the moment. And he didn't handle it particularly well, I don't think. I mean, he managed to make it through. He did a few good things. But you could tell that this was a guy who was fighting everything he was doing that day. And, and, and I, I agree. Uh, but it, I was also very heartened uh, to hear or read, excuse me, Mike Matheny's quote. This, I didn't see this in an interview. I just read it, I think. Uh, I think it was in Rob Rain's uh, post-game report that Matheny... Uh, was particularly heartened by uh, Gonzalez's curveball in his second start. Uh, and he made a comment along the lines of, that was a pitch he didn't have last year at this time. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, and it was also a reminder that these are kids who are developing and trying to be they aren't finished products. Like Marco Gonzalez is competing for the number five starter position in St. Louis. And he is not, I mean, he's certainly more of a finished product than he was last summer. Uh, and certainly last spring, uh, but he is still developing. Um, and you know, you mentioned the fits and starts and then sometimes it just all comes together. Um, and that's what we could be seeing with Gonzalez. But the development of that curveball, I think, maybe makes him an even more palatable reliever because it gives him another weapon against lefties, uh, maybe a put-away pitch against lefties. Yeah, um, that's, that's true. You know, his repertoire of, of the fastball change-up combo really doesn't lend itself to, uh, to short lefty relief. It doesn't lend itself to loogiedom whatsoever. Um, you know, he could be a long guy. He could face both because he can get lefties out okay. But he's not the sort of the sort of pitcher you you think of as specializing in that because he just doesn't have that pitch that uh, you know that same-handed hitters are really going to struggle with. Right. Um, so, number one, I almost want if I'm so torn. You know, I want to see him pitch more often. I'd like to see him face major league hitters. Um, I don't. I am generally a proponent of an apprenticeship for lack of a better term in the major league bullpen Uh, but there's also a part of me that wants marco gonzalez to go use his full his more fully developed array of pitches in the minors so he has a better feel for them because i think they really i think number one for whatever reason they tend to narrow the pitch usage down with these young kids at the majors whether they're starting or in relief 
Um, but I think their use of Carlos Martinez and the way they, they essentially turned him into a almost a two-pitch pitcher when he was in relief. I mean, they were throwing so many four-seamers and so many sliders, it kind of left me wondering where that sinker was and where the change was, especially given his problems with left-handed hitters. And so I'm, I'm kind of torn about it, uh, you know, about whether I, I think it would be best to have Gonzalez as that number six starter waiting to replace whoever gets injured. And there will be an injury, okay? That's just the nature of the beast. Um, but also working on all of those pitches, which he has spent the offseason working on as well, uh, or whether facing major league hitters out of the bullpen and perhaps not using all of his pitches as much, you know, what is the best thing for Marco Gonzalez at this point in his development? And I'm kind of torn on that. Yeah, I, I probably, probably if he forced me, and, and held a gun to my head and said, "What? Where would you like to see him?" I might actually say in AAA. I that's I think and that's where I come I down like to. to. See him on the MLB roster as much as I want to see him, you know, throwing for the big league team. Um, what's best for him might be more time in in AAA to work on, as you say, because I know he's got a cutter that he threw in college. I remember seeing it. I watched lots of video of him in college. And I've barely seen that as a as a uh, as a professional, as a pro. Um, you know, the curveball, like you said, it was telegraphed badly last year. It sounds like it's better this year. We even saw it a little bit better late in the season last year when he threw it. He just didn't use it a whole lot. But you know, if if I'm being honest, probably the best thing for him, the best possibly possible outcome, would be to start in AAA and continue to widen. You know, maybe not so much polish up what he's got because, you know, he's pretty polished already, but continue to draw in more possibilities, continue to try and and widen and broaden what he can do in terms of pitch selection. And I I think I'm right there with you. And so I find myself... It sucks when we agree. That doesn't make for interesting radio at all. No, it doesn't. We we need I, more conflict on this show. I need I need to come up with a hot take on something. I hate you, and you're stupid. Now let me tell you well, why. That's not I, a hot take that's just I mean that's pretty pretty given at this point. <laughs> I'm like three steps up from a, a, a John Steinbeck protagonist. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but no, I I think I am. I I mean, I find myself. I want Carlos Martinez in that starting rotation. I find myself hoping that Jaime Garcia is healthy, Carlos Martinez is in the starting rotation, and Kevin Segrist is healthy and in the bullpen, and Marco, and Marco Gonzalez is healthy and in AAA, ready to join the rotation when the need arises. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I, I suspect that nothing will go smoothly and I will not get what I want. Um, that's the nature of baseball and pitching in particular. Our anatomy is, is not designed to throw overhand thousands of times uh, over a given year, and that's how these pitchers make their living. So hopefully uh, hopefully everyone's healthy, and it's a hard decision for the Cardinals to make uh, because that means that their pitching depth is truly deep uh, on opening day. Um, when we're talking about potential topics – and I bring this up as we are nearing 
probably the 45 or 50 minute mark of the podcast. Uh, I thought you had a, a really good one um, regarding how teams are viewing roster construction and being competitive uh, here uh, in the mid 2010s. Uh, and I thought it might be nice if you shared with folks kind of the inspiration for this topic and, and uh, what it's all about. Um, well, the in the sort of the genesis of this thought I had was uh, actually a bunch of other podcasts that I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I used to listen to a lot of music whenever I was at the gym or, or at work board or whatever. I've mostly moved on to podcasts, partly because I'm getting old and it's like turning to AM radio, but also because I find it's much more effective at calming the voices in my head than music is nowadays, so I, I mostly go with podcasts where I feel that people are talking at me rather than just something playing in the background. But I was listening to, um, it was one of the Grantland, uh, the Zach, the, the Low Post, which is Zach Lowe, who is a, ba- a basketball writer for Grantland. Uh, fantastic writer. Absolutely, probably the best basketball writer on the, on the, on the market right now. I don't like basketball that well. I love reading his stuff because he breaks the, the game down in a way you just don't see. And I don't recall who he was talking to exactly, but the Philadelphia 76ers came up. And it, you know, it was... And I know, even if people aren't basketball fans, I'm sure they're aware of what's going on with the 76ers right now. They are tanking. And they have been tanking for the last couple years, and it appears they may be tanking for a few more. And the idea of a team, not that the players are tanking, mind you, it's just that the organization is not doing what it can to put talent on the court. That they are okay with being abjectly awful in order to try and gain assets. That you are really, really bad. So in the NBA, you get most of the... It's a lottery system, so you don't automatically get the number one pick in the draft. But you get more balls in the hopper, as it were, if you're really, really terrible. The worst team always has the highest chance of getting the top pick. Um, And we saw this in baseball over the last, say, 10 to 15 years. This idea that you don't want to be – because in the NBA right now, you don't ever want to be like a six seed going into the playoffs. You don't want to be that team. You don't want to be that guy. A team that's good enough to sneak into the postseason, but really doesn't have a chance, doesn't have any shot. You're going to lose in the first round. You're going to get knocked out, and you're going to get a mid-round pick that doesn't have a lot of value. You're not going to get a huge revenue boost. You're not, you know, you don't get any of the stuff that serves as building blocks for a great team. But neither are you already a really good team with a chance to win. And we saw this with the Houston Astros. Jeff Luna went there, left the Cardinals, went to become their general manager, and immediately just tore the thing apart. I mean, just ripped it asunder would be perhaps the best way to put it. And they've been terrible. I mean, they, you know, they picked three years in a row first overall in the draft. That's the first time that has ever happened. So far, I, I believe it's the first time, at least in the modern incarnation of the draft. I know that. The Cubs did a similar thing. You know, in order to get all of the bad contracts off the books, in order to get rid of all the bloated, all of just the stuff that they couldn't really use, that wasn't contributing, that was just holding them up and making them an okay team. 
Theo Epstein and, and Jed Hoyer, when they got there, they basically just started jettisoning things. Just all of this stuff. We don't. This isn't going to help us. This isn't going to be part of the next great Cubs team. Let's get rid of it. And they tanked. They were they were terrible for a couple years there. And in the NBA, we're seeing it. It's becoming a problem. The league doesn't like it. They are not at all happy about the 76ers doing this thing. But really, when you look at it, you can't argue that it's not the right thing. If you're not going to be a great team, be a lousy team. Because being lousy allows you to collect the assets that may make you great. If you're just okay, you're going to be trapped on that that hamster wheel of mediocrity forever. I was also listening to the Fangraphs podcasts recently and the Effectively Wild podcast, all of which, you know, both of which really great listens. I mean, you know, there's so many really amazing sports podcasts out there right now. If you're not listening to them, you're doing yourself a disservice because there's all this crap out there on regular radio and things like that. You're hearing a bunch of shit that doesn't do any good for you. There's so much good stuff out there you could be listening to, so go go find it, everyone, seriously. But specifically, the Padres season preview podcast on Effectively Wild, it was just this past week, they were talking about all the moves the Padres made to try and vault into contention. And the thing is, is the Padres are still not projected to be a great team. I think they're projected to be something like an 85-win team. But, in the current format for baseball, with the two extra wildcard teams, with 10 teams getting into the playoffs, 85 wins is pretty close to good enough. If you're an 85-win true talent team, you basically only need to outperform that by about two wins, maybe? Two or three you need to get kind of in the upper 80s, and you can probably snatch a playoff spot. And all of a sudden, we're seeing teams make a bunch of these moves to try and get to a level of competence. And this is something that Dave Cameron talked about a lot on the Fangraphs podcast uh, with Carson Sestouli, that there is this value right now, or there, there seems to be this, this dawning kind of, uh, this new way of thinking that there is a lot of value in being a competent team. That you don't have to be lousy in order to try and be great. That if you're just a pretty good team who can sneak into the playoffs, there's tremendous value in that. And so as, as I was listening to these things, somewhat fortuitously all kind of near enough each other that you don't forget about what you heard earlier in between, it sort of it, it kind of dawned on me that we have these two leagues going in wildly diverging directions. That one league is essentially, you know, teams are seeing that if you're just good and just good enough to get into the tournament, you probably don't have a chance to win anyway, and you're not getting any better, so you might as well be terrible. While baseball teams are all of a sudden seeing all this value in becoming just good enough to get in and that that's that's kind of the ideal right now that you don't have to be a superpower you don't have to be a great team all of a sudden there's all this value teams are seeing in just getting there and and i 
I was trying to figure out what the what the the incentives are that are so different between these leagues that they make this uh, this very divergent kind of uh, kind of paradigm for how each league how teams in each league are attempting to become competitive and uh, and and I was curious what you thought about it and if anybody else out there has any thoughts. Well, I think it's the nature of the respective sports combined with the po- the postseason format. You know, baseball. What makes baseball beautiful and wonderful to me is the regular season. You know, the cream. You know, you have teams that outperform perhaps their true talent every year to a degree. You have teams that underperform it, and that's true. But by and large, you know. Over 162 games, the best teams are the best teams because you can't fake it for 162 games. I don't know that you can necessarily fake it for 82 games in the NBA either. Um, but the difference is in the respective sports postseasons. You know, you have the wild card play-in game, then you have the five-game NLDS, uh, and you might remember back when the Nuggets knocked off the SuperSonics, a number eight seed knocking off a number one in the best of five first round NBA series. Uh, it was shortly thereafter. And I think it was in part to ensure that their best teams advanced on and in part to sell the rights uh, to a couple more uh, postseason games, potentially um, the NBA went to the seven game format throughout the postseason, and in professional basketball, it's hard to have an upset uh, in a seven-game series, but it's very, but it's almost impossible for you know a number six seed to not only upset uh, a team in the first round, but then to go on and upset another team and another team and then win the NBA Finals. It's just that gauntlet is very difficult to run unless you are truly an elite team. Uh, whereas in baseball, and there are quite a few examples of this, the Royals are an example, the Giants are an example. Just last season, the two World Series teams uh, were not the best teams in their respective divisions. Uh, the 2011 Cardinals were not the best team in their division that year. But they put it together, they beat one of the best teams uh, of the last decade, Uh, in that 2011 Phillies team in the five-game NLDS. Then they beat the Brewers, who were superior to them during the regular season in the NLCS. And then they beat probably the American Lakes' top team uh, in the World Series. And you just don't see... The Cardinals were essentially the last seed in that postseason. And you just don't see that, um, I think, due to the nature of the sport of basketball, you just don't see that type of kind of fairy tale run uh, in the NBA. And so the incentive is different. Getting a lottery ticket to the MLB postseason has more value to a team than making the NBA playoffs. And of course, a larger share, a much larger share of the NBA overall, a much larger share of the teams make the postseason, you know, over half. Um, than the MLB postseason be another uh, factor that's at play there. That's probably why a wild card team in the MLB postseason has a good chance, maybe not a good chance, but has a chance to run the table and win the World Series 
whereas a number six, seven, eight seed uh, in the NBA doesn't. And so that would be my that would be my diagnosis. Uh, it's the difference in the nature of the sports and what can happen over a seven game or a five game series. Absolutely, you you absolutely hit on the first thing that I sort of came up with in that. You know, you can't think of that many Cinderella teams in the NBA. I mean, it happens every once in a while, but you don't get it very often. Um, in baseball, last year's World Series had two teams, which, according, you know, going by objective measures of the quality of those teams, basically had no business being there. And yet there they were. Um, you know, for whatever reason, baseball is simply less predictable particularly in short bursts, in relatively short uh, series, than the other sports are. So I think that's probably, that's probably your number one thing. Um, I, I was also thinking about the nature of the incentives on, in terms of how you get better. Because I, I tried to bring the NFL into this also. And that's really difficult because in the NFL the turnover and, and the rapidity of iteration that teams undergo is so rapid that by the time you think you spot a long-term, uh, uh, like a, a trend over long term, it's already over most of the time. You know, the, the nature of the game, how short careers are, things like that, everything changes so rapidly in the NFL that it's hard to bring in. But... At the same time, the NFL and the NBA have something in common that is very, very different from baseball. And that is, in the NFL, if you are really, really terrible, if you are the Rams of the last decade, or you are the Jacksonville Jaguars of a couple years, or the Detroit Lions for a while there, you are going to be picking at the top of the draft, maybe number one, and that is everything. When, when you pick at the top of the, of the NFL draft, yes, you can still miss, and teams do all the time. The aforementioned Sam Bradford pick turned out quite badly for the Rams and set them back probably another four or five years. When you miss on a number one overall, it tends to set you back. But you can get immediate impact talent there, a player who may be your best player as soon as the next season. In the NBA, it, it's, it's kind of that same way. Those guys at the top are going to be good almost immediately. They're going to be great very, very quickly. The first overall pick in a baseball draft, you might not see him again for another three or four years. And so the advantages of being really, really terrible in baseball don't seem nearly as, as, as pronounced as in the NBA or the NFL. Uh, and now slini signing, pardon me, uh, slotting bonuses to where you only have a limited amount of, of budget to spend, depending upon where you pick in the draft and things like that. That maybe it seems like it should be pushing baseball toward the other model, to where if you're really terrible, you get all this money to spend on various things, and it's a big deal, it's a big advantage. But even then, I wonder if the, the assets you're acquiring and trying to develop are just so volatile and so difficult to predict that you can never 
be really, really certain, even picking at the top of the draft, even if you're the Washington Nationals and you get two generational talents in a row at the top of the draft and then probably get the best guy in the draft in Anthony Rendon at number six or eight overall or whatever they did the third year to where you get, you know, the three best players in those drafts three years in a row. Even if you're the Nationals, you can't always guarantee success. That, that maybe the power of being terrible in baseball isn't enough to make it worthwhile the way it is in, in these other sports. Yeah, I, I think that you are you have hit the nail on the head as well. And it's the fact that Branch Rickey, God bless him, developed a professional alternative to the NCAA cartel for Major League Baseball. And so what you have is the NBA and the NFL go in here and they have this state-subsidized um, cartel in the NCAA that is grooming these players and preparing them for professional athletics. Um, and they're exploiting the, exploits these kids and makes billions of dollars off of them. But then when they're being drafted, they are close to fully formed players. Um, and then you compare that to baseball where uh, the farm, the professional farm system is more of a cultural reality uh, and has been in place you know, for a couple generations, and you see teams more willing and able, for that matter, uh, to draft these players and develop them. And that's the difference, is more development occurs of major league draft picks after they've become professionals than in football or basketball. Uh, and, you know, the reason for that is Baseball, NCAA baseball, is not the juggernaut that NCAA basketball or NCAA football is. And the NFL and the NCAA have this state-subsidized player development program. Um, you know, that's ostensibly this nonprofit that's supposed to be about academics. Um, which yeah, is, the way FIFA's a nonprofit too. Right, which is a bunch of hogwash. And which, by the way, you know, people... You know, like the point, the NCAA wants to make money, uh, so you shouldn't be surprised when big schools make the, the NCAA tournament <laughs> over small schools. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I mean, they're it's, probably doing that like right now, aren't they? They, they probably are, um, and I just, you know, I just have a hard time caring because it is such sure. a such a seedy business. Um, but that's one of the things that I like about baseball is they. Although they don't pay their players, apparently, uh, in compliance with federal law, they don't pay minor leaguers, apparently, according to the allegations in that lawsuit. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, major league teams field their own developmental leagues. They don't rely on the NCAA like the NFL and NBA do. And so there's a bigger gap between when you draft these kids uh, and if and when they make the majors and i think that's a really important difference too and i think you hit the nail on the head um and it's a real interesting dynamic as well because i think that what you have is the incentives in major league baseball with a smaller playoff field as a share of the overall league 
um, and the gap between the draft and making your uh, major league debut. Um, it has actually led, I kind of feel like, uh, there's more parity and more hope for winning a World Series in Major League Baseball right now than maybe there is in the NBA in terms of more teams' fans having a realistic hope of the postseason and then that hope also being a realistic hope of winning the World Series um, than uh, the NFL or the NBA. Yeah, it, it definitely a more realistic hope of, of winning it all. I'm not sure there's a more realistic hope of just making the postseason. Oh, that's true. In the NBA, I mean, everybody gets in. Same as the NHL playoffs. It just everybody gets a tournament. Or everybody gets a medal. I guess what I was thinking is but, when your team makes it, like having that hope that they might be yeah, able to like win it all. Like it could go all the way. If a couple things break right, you can beat anyone. That your right. team could win it because that's just the way baseball works. That it's not so cut and dried as if you are the seven seed in the Eastern Conference in the NBA, you don't have a shot. You, I mean, you'll, you'll play four extra games, five extra games, whatever, and then your team is going home, just the same as if their season had ended at the end of the regular season. So it's, it's kind of unsatisfying, I guess. Right. It's sort of like a false, oh, well, we're a playoff team. Who cares? Whereas yeah. in Major League Baseball, and that's what I was really driving at, you're right. I guess what I'm saying is making the playoffs has a different value to major league fans. Unless you're the Braves, <laughs> then nobody cares anyway. Right. Did you see that map? Suck it, Atlanta, Georgia. Come did, on. Did you see the New York Times, what is it, the upshot? They had the map based on Facebook fandom, and it was a map of major league sort of territory, color-coded by team. And Atlanta is gray <laughs> because it doesn't have a majority team. It, it's strictly plurality is all over the place. The Atlanta Braves are not the majority team that uh, folks are fans of who are in Atlanta. That's funny. That's kind of weird, too, but sort of funny. Oh, oh, speaking of Branch Rickey, did you see that 42 movie? Yes. What did you think of it? Uh, I was I. I love the Ebbets Field flannel jerseys. Uh, I thought Harrison Ford was a little over the top. I I didn't like his portrayal. Uh, I liked the portrayal of the Robinsons, um, but I thought that they had, you know, I really hated where like they discover Jackie Robinson and it's like Ricky's people are reading his file and it's like you know he had that he was thrown or he was discharged because he had an altercation about you know the racist seating on a bus and i was kind of like well, wouldn't that have been a good introduction to jackie robinson's character instead of having you know branch ricky's clerk reading it to him why not show us show us what happened and then have the clerk read it to ricky and have ricky discount because then we would be on his side, and we would also already have window into Jackie Robinson's phenomenal character. Um, you know, I love the old stadiums, but it just... And I'm someone... I mean, I guess you probably know this. I mean, I, my family's been reading to me about Jackie Robinson since I was, like, three. And so... And I've been reading about him, you know, for three decades now. And I try to read everything on him. And so I think I got my hopes up really, really high... And it just, it was good 
but I wanted it to be like truly great, and it just didn't. See, I, there. I thought it really, really sucked. I, I did not. Uh, I did not like it much at all. I thought the guy who actually played Jackie Robinson was really good. Like you said, his, his wife was good too. I thought, but uh, Harrison Ford was just man. He was awful. He was doing like a W.C. Fields impersonation the whole time. It, it was, was like just, a cartoon character. It yeah. was. Yeah, it was terrible. And you know, to be fair, Harrison Ford's kind of a cartoon character anyway. I mean, he is like this angry old man and has been apparently since the mid-70s. <laughs> Everything you ever read or hear about him is just that in real life, he's a gigantic asshole. And you would never expect it, but he's just the angriest. He's like, you know, a Clint Eastwood character come to life or something. But I don't know. I just I was really disappointed in it. Um, I found just, it disappointing, like said, too. Yeah, and, and like you said, it would have been much better. Introduce the guy with him doing something rather than someone reading a file. Reading a file, not a great, like, storytelling tool. Um, I will say this, though. I enjoyed in your review you were just giving how you kept talking about Ricky, Branch Ricky, with his last name. It made me feel like I was listening to Ricky Henderson <laughs> talk about himself again. Like, yeah. well, you know, I feel like Ricky portrayed Ricky really in a really Ricky sort of way. I, I was I was kind of enjoying that for a moment. I, I love... I wish that Ricky Henderson had participated in a WrestleMania at some point Ricky in time. I wish Ricky Henderson and Dusty Rhodes had an angle together. Yes, it would have been amazing. It would have been the best thing ever. I mean, I just... Ricky Henderson was so awesome. He, he was... He was long one of my favorite players to watch play. Um, I wonder if I could get enough audio together to do like a super cut of that. We could use that as our theme music since apparently people are angry we don't have it. We could have like a 10 minute sketch of Dusty Rhodes arguing with Ricky Henderson. It would be great. Well, folks, uh, if you would like Aaron to splice together uh, a Ricky Henderson interview of Dusty Rhodes, give me an email. Uh, or if you have car questions about the Cardinals or there's something that you would like us to discuss here on the podcast, shoot me an email. My email address is veb.bgh at gmail.com. That's veb.bgh at gmail.com. Veb as in Viva Albertos. Bgh as in Ben G. Humphrey at gmail.com. I've had some very uh, interesting and good interactions with folks on email. Uh, some of them ask me a question, and I just answer it via email. Sometimes uh, we talk about it on the show, um, and we're always happy to do that. We're also always happy to hear your feedback, because this podcast is... I feel is... like you should really not just answer them in email form, because that doesn't create content of any sort. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, this this is this is serious business, this content generation shit here. Man. Well, we, we are in the content business. Email, guess what? You answer that email in post format, or we do it on the podcast every time from now on. That's that's a, a fair uh, a fair critique of my methods. <laughs> Somebody sends you an email and says, "Hey, I can't get my login to work." Guess what? That's that's what we're covering in the next podcast. Uh, but I we enjoy hearing from you. Podcast is very much uh, a work in progress, and we're trying to make it uh, good and something that folks like to listen to. Uh, and so we're always happy uh, to hear your input. Um, and I want to thank you, Aaron, for joining me. I always enjoy our discussions. And surprise, surprise, it's been another rather long one. It has been. 
feel like I'm always the one sucking up all the time. I was going to try and be really sort of high energy and, and speak much, much faster and louder than I normally do today, but I, I don't know. It's still, it still gets a bit rambly in the middle, everything I do. So, Yeah, well, I get a bit rambly too. It's all right. Uh, but thanks for joining me. As always, I've enjoyed our talk. And to the folks who listen to the whole thing, thanks for listening to the whole thing. And uh, until uh, you listen again, go Cardinals!